Thank you and be seated. And thank you, Jeremy, so much for leading this morning. I know you're wondering about David. Um, Sarah may. You're worrying about Sarah, I know, yeah. You know, I was thinking whether to say it or not. David is not going to have a baby, I can assure you of that. But Sarah may, actually, in the very near future. Sarah, um, he said, may be in labor. You know what it's like with those first children, so... Maybe, maybe not, but um, at any rate, uh, David had planned to be away this, this week, um, and Jeremy uh, and all those who were leading this morning were planning to do, be here without him, and they did a wonderful job. Thank you so much, all of you, um, and welcome to Grace Community Church, especially if this is your first time. We just want to extend to you a very uh, warm welcome. We're really glad you're here. We're in a series called the 29th chapter. It's based on uh, the 29th chapter of Acts, which doesn't exist in Scripture, but it does very much exist in the plan and the purpose of God. We are living out what he began in the earliest days of the church. We are now in that time. I'm going to start off by asking some questions. I, I, I did that last week. I don't typically try to do this two weeks in a row, but I'll, if you Feel free to respond. You don't have to respond. I, I'm going to guess that a number of you, speaking of questions, are, are in a role where questions are a significant part of your day. For instance, how many of you are students of some kind, any kind? You're a student of any kind, all right? Several of quite a few of you. Uh, ones that we might not even expect, the front rows loaded with students. Second, how many of you are teachers? Teachers, all right. Quite a few of you are teachers. How many of you have a role at your job where, you're, where training is a significant aspect of what you do? You're training, all right? Quite a few of you in that role. How many of you are parents? All right. How many of you are husbands? See what I mean? Questions all day long, all day. Why are you doing this? Why? No, I'm just kidding. Not, not those. Whether you're seeking to learn... I'm so grateful my wife is laughing. She thinks that's funny. I'm trying to discern the nature of her laugh, whether it's, you know, one of those, <laughs> or, ha, ha, ha. So, <laughs> I would report next week, but I won't be here next week. I'll be in the mountains at the, at the couples retreat. By the way, anybody, st- we've still got room for one or two couples to go to Teen Valley Ranch this next week for the couples retreat. Um. <clears throat> Whether you're seeking to learn or to teach, questions are one of the best ways to accomplish your goal. I mean, the day that you quit asking questions is the day that you will quit learning. And interestingly enough, the more people know, the more questions they seem to ask. The more curious they become about life. Well, what about the big questions of life. I mean, there are some really big questions in life. In fact, there are four primary questions about life that we all, wanna, we all want answers for. Uh, you may phrase these questions differently than I do, but, but, f- but for the most part, here are the four things that, that we want to know. First of all, where did I come from? Now, I'm not talking about an eight, or a ten, eight to ten-year-old saying, Mommy, how did I get here? Where did I come from? When from my belly is no longer a satisfactory answer you're in for it at that particular point. But that's not the question that I'm talking about. I mean, how did all of this get here? And because that question is so profound in our minds, most of us 
have answered it at least to a certain degree, or we're really exploring the answers. Were we created? Did we, did we evolve? What, how did we get here? Another very significant question, the second question is, where am I heading? I mean, we all know that we die. Every single person dies, but what happens after death? Your answer will determine a great deal about how you live your life. The third question we want answered is, what is my purpose here? Or we might ask, what is the meaning of life? Now, there's no question on either end of the, of the spectrum of where we live. Our, our answers can be colored by the affluence and the freedom that we have over here or the captivity and poverty that are on the other end. One may, may just sort of block out the... The, the need for thinking about purpose, the other can numb the senses and, and, and keep us from thinking about why are we here. But we all want to know that reason. Why is it that we're here? Sometimes pain and suffering can focus our attention on purpose more clearly than anything else, especially for those who are not used to suffering. You're not used to suffering, then all of a sudden you come into a period of suffering in your life, you'll start thinking about what's it all about anyway? The last question that we all want answered deals with the problem of evil. I mean, I think most of us get sickness, even accidents, but why Hitler? Why child abuse? Why exploitation? We acknowledged last week that God is both sovereign and good. I think most of us would agree with that. But sometimes we have a bit of a hard time making sense of evil. Now, we're going to spend a little time thinking about those three questions today, or the, or the text that we're going to go to is going to deal with these three questions. The last one, the problem of evil, would take a whole lot more time than we have this morning to deal with. Ultimately, the answer is trust. We just trust the sovereign God. But sometimes it's helpful, especially when you go through those periods where you just think, this just doesn't make sense to me. Why is, look, the psalmist talked about this over and over. These guys talked about it. Why do the, 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 the righteous suffer and the, and, the, and the wicked prosper? What's this all about, God? So sometimes it's helpful to think through. It's just that we're not going to do that today. We don't have time to do that today. But it is one of the, the four primary questions that we have. Where do we come from? Where are we going? What's our purpose? And, and what about evil in the world? How does that connect with a, with a good and gracious God. Now, <clears throat> speaking of trust and faith, everyone believes in something. Every single person has faith when answering these questions, especially if it's a clear-cut answer. I believe in something, even if it's we're all here by accident and death is the end and there's just no more after that, so really, you just make the best of this life that you can, and, and that's all there is. You, I, I'm not going to try to prove my belief to you that God exists, and that there's meaning for all of this, and that Jesus was indeed God come to earth. I'm not going to try to prove that to you any more than I'm going to ask you to prove to me that there is no God, and that this is all that there is. And the burden of proof is just as great on the one who says no God, there is no God, as the one who says there is a God. We're going to simply begin this morning with the assumption 
that the truths in this book have authority over our lives. This book speaks to what we should believe and how we should live our lives. Next Sunday, Sean is going to talk about the reasons that we do believe that this book has authority. Because that's a big question. A lot of people say, well, so what? I mean, so you say you're, 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 you believe the Bible. Isn't the Bible just, just full of circular arguments? I mean, how can you believe that this is truly, this was written by humans. Humans make errors. Errors all through this book. Well, Sean's going to address all of that next week because as we think about the 29th chapter where, where we are living out God's story and God's <clears throat> plan for our lives as a church and as individuals, then we need to know why it is we put so much stock into this. It was written at the, at, at the latest 2,000 years. The, the, the latest authors of this book are almost wrote almost 2,000 years ago. So why, why? Well, we'll talk about that. We're going to begin this morning trying to understand where we fit in God's plan. And in order to do so, we're going to believe, going to start with the belief that the creator God of the universe has revealed himself through nature, through our consciences, through Jesus, through his written word, and that we find in the Bible instruction and answers to the most crucial questions about life. Out of respect for God's word, we're going to stand in just a moment and read our text for the day, which is Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. In this section, our Greek translations take five sentences, rather lengthy sentences, to get this said. In the Greek, did I say Greek translation? In our English translations is what I meant to say if I didn't. In the Greek, this is all one sentence. And far from being unreadable and unworkable, this, the Greek structure highlights and emphasizes the transcendent triune God who is above all and yet who is intimately involved in our lives and his spectacular work of redemption. So as we stand, I know this is going to be a little bit difficult as we read through, try to think about this one-sentence structure. You'll be talking about this more at home groups this week. This one-sentence structure and why the Lord led the Apostle Paul to write in this way. Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, would you please stand as we read God's word together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings, blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time 
to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And in Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been, been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Let's pray. Father, we do offer praise to You. Praise for Your greatness, Your your beauty, your holiness, your righteousness, and praise for your work of redemption in our lives, for your plan of salvation, for the redemption that we have in Jesus, and for sending your Spirit as well to live with us and to assure us of our relationship with you and to comfort and to teach us. And we pray this morning that your Spirit would do his work in our lives as we magnify and glorify your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Last week we talked about the storyline that is in Scripture. It's God's story. A story that, that we see over and over and one that is broken up into four chapters. Creation, the fall of man, redemption, and ultimate and final restoration. This morning, we want to try to understand where exactly we fit in God's story. And, and, and while we could have gone to any number of passages, we ended up in, in Ephesians 1. We're, we're going to find ourselves in God's story, and we're going to find Jesus at the center of this story. Jesus, who satisfies all questions that we have about our origin and our, our, our destination, our destiny, our purpose, and even our trials, if we will rest in Him. The ESV Study Bible, which you should get, by the way, if you don't have, the ESV Study Bible, um, identifies two main themes of the book of Ephesians. First, Christ has reconciled all creation to Himself and to God. By the way, almost always in the New Testament, when you see the word God, it's referring to the Father. It, it, it's very helpful to think of the trini Trinity, the triune God, but most of the time when the Bible talks about God, it's referring to God the Father. When it talks about the Lord, it's referring to Jesus Christ. And in here, uh, the personal pronouns go both ways. Most of the time they're identifying God, but whenever you see in Him almost here, it's talking about it's talking about Jesus, and I hope I haven't confused you more than I have cleared anything up. So, Christ has reconciled all creation to Himself and to God the Father. And two, Christ has united people from all nations to Himself and to one another in the church. Life always makes more sense when we are right related, rightly related to our Creator. And when we are rightly related to our Creator... We gain understanding that our relationship on this earth is to be in close connection with those who belong to Him. The church, we are to be rightly related to one another as well as to the Father. 
So in light of all that we have considered in these first, last week in, in, in this um, introduction this morning uh, about God's story and with Jesus in the middle of it and our place in the story and the questions about life and eternity, let's take a little time and look at this text, Ephesians 1, beautiful, incredible text that may have been a little confusing as we read through it because we're not used to the to that sort of, we would consider this a run-on sentence and the thoughts seem to flow and, and get garbled up. But when you take a little bit of time and look at it and you recognize the way that Greeks thought, uh, it, it, it takes on much more meaning. So let's break it down a little bit. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Um, years ago, I, I preached an entire sermon on, on Ephesians 1-3, quite a few years ago now. And I titled the message, Looking for Blessings in All the Wrong Places. places. And we do, don't we? We look for blessings in material possessions we look for blessings in 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 everything going smoothly in your life and everybody being healthy and all of those things when we are told here that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places do you believe that do you believe that your life is one of blessing that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing if you are a Christ follower, if you belong to Jesus, it is absolutely true whether it feels like it or not. God's spiritual blessings are intended for spiritual men and women. And if you're in Christ, you're spiritual. These, are not, these, these blessings are not intended for those outside of Christ. They're intended for those in Christ. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? I want you to just think for a moment. What is overwhelming you in your life right now? Or what, what is just troubling, just sort of a niggling little bother in your heart and mind? Do, do you at times almost feel jinxed, if not downright cursed? Are you overwhelmed with busyness? Or laden with grief? Either the loss of someone in your life or the anticipation of, of, of loss of some nature? Did you know that you're blessed? Did you know that you're blessed and hear, just hear my voice saying your name? Did you know that you're blessed, friend? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed you. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You can open your eyes. We're thinking about God's story. What about our stories? What, would you rather write your own story or would you rather God write your story? The right answer is God, but that's not the answer most of it. Most of us would say, give me the pen, please. Give me the pen, pen. I'll take that now. Let me write. 
I know how I want this story to go. <laughs> Do you think it would be more difficult, this, this, this question extremely significant to our sister Norma, do you think it would be more difficult to be born blind or to go blind after you've had sight? Whatever we answer, that question, it, it, it's going to be followed by, but, but then, because we just don't know. Maybe one of the reasons that we fail to appreciate spiritual blessings is that technological advances have lessened the importance of spiritual blessings. Because everything can be fixed in our lives. As far as the world being put back into its original condition as it was in the Garden of Eden, well, that's not that big a deal to some of us. It's, it's, it's a big deal to Norma who is struggling with her sight. It's a big deal to Harold, who lost his wife this past year. It's a big deal to those of you who have lost your jobs, and it's just miserably difficult to find something, anything close to what you had before. But it's not that big of a deal when we get in our two cars and we Drive home to our several bedroom homes with heating and cooling and indoor plumbing. And that, of course, after a pleasant meal with friends at your favorite nutritious fast food restaurant, which is an oxymoron if there's ever been one. For those struggling with material poverty, spiritual blessings take on extra meaning, which is why we are the exceptions, folks. It's usually poor people in large numbers that respond to the gospel because there's hope. Which means it's far more important for us even to, to, to fight the tendencies that we have to, to find our life in this world, in this earth. And to recognize that the blessings that count in our lives are spiritual in nature. That's one of the reasons that spiritual blessings often mean more to those of us who have so much when we begin to encounter the consequences and face the consequences of the fall that occurred when Adam and Eve sinned, such as we've talked about a while ago, illness, broken relationships, addictions, unemployment. It's in those times that we, we tend to give much more of ourselves to the Lord. And what a shame that it takes so much for us to give back to Him. Look at how He gave to us in verse in these verses, uh, the, the entire trinity is in view in, in, in verse 3 with the Holy Spirit conveying those spiritual blessings to us. The trinity, in fact, is seen in this entire long sentence. You'll explore that again a little more in home groups this week. Just think of the themes that are mentioned in verses 5 through 7. Love, predestination, spiritual adoption, through Christ, in Christ, at least ten times in this passage, <coughs> we see the word, the, the, the phrase, in Christ. Sometimes it's in Him, in the beloved. Forgiveness through His blood. Praise for His glorious grace. Threefold doxology this is. And God's grace implies undeserved 
riches that are beyond really even our comprehension. And we're not, we're not even called to think about his grace so much again when life is good. The idea that God predestined us for salvation and he predestinated us, he predestined us either way works. It's difficult for some people to accept. I, I'm not sure exactly why it's such a tough pill for some people to swallow, although I, I do have an idea. You're afraid that your loved ones who don't know Jesus haven't been elected for salvation and somehow that seems unfair to say, well, it's all up to God because you desperately want to convince your loved one about Jesus. But stop for a moment and remember this passage and all such passages were written to, it was written to believers and all of these passages are intended for our great comfort and delight. If you have trouble with this doctrine, would you, for just a moment, I'm, I'm not saying this like, hey, just a moment, do this. I'm just saying, I'm pleading with you. For just a moment, let your objections go and think about the blessings of this doctrine. The unspeakable blessing that God chose you to be his child. Before eternity began, God fixed and established your place in his family. In his story. He has, in fact, adopted you into his family. And he paid the ultimate price of sending his beloved son who shed his blood, and that means so much more than just that he died. But his blood became an acceptable sacrifice to the Father in place of our death and our blood because of our sin. His beloved son, in fact, died to obliterate the eternal consequences of the fall and of, uh, of, the fall and of our own sin in our lives. And his blood also mitigates the present effects of the fall in the lives of those who believe in Jesus. In other words, <laughs> you think life is bad now? It could be a lot worse without Jesus. And, and all of these things that cause such great frustration for us really are not frustration at all if you belong to Jesus because all things work together for the good of those who are called in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 28 tells us. You know, there was absolutely nothing, nothing in us that attracted God's attention. He, he chose us simply because he loved us. No reason, no goodness in ourselves. Now, I want to think, why wouldn't he choose me? How foolish. The question is, why would he choose me. I'm horrible. I'm, and it, all it takes is just one teeny little sin to separate us for eternity from a holy and righteous God. And yet, he loved us and sent his son to die for us. That's grace, an utterly undeserved gift of riches. And it causes some of us at times to consider it grace almost an embarrassment of riches like why am i in and so and 
so is not. Why am I, why did God reveal this truth to me and yet it just seems like uh, this person over here can't get it for anything. No matter how clearly I explain it or how, why? But rather than feeling guilty because we're chosen and others are not, we're called to remember that this is according to the purpose of what? Whose will? It's according to the purpose of His will, which should cause us to respond as intended, with praise. God lavished His riches of grace upon me. And yet, I'm upset because the item I ordered online took a week to get to me. And that's ridiculous. No, I didn't pay for overnight shipping because it's supposed to come in three days. Or because a fast food employee was rude to me. I can't tell you how frustrated I got at, 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 at getting my oil changed a few weeks ago. I mean, she was treating me like, you sit over there and you're free to go now. And I'm thinking, free to go? What do you mean? And, and it's just crazy the things we get, get frustrated about. I mean, I'm just natured that way. And I, I probably shouldn't tell you all these things or you'll think, why listen to him? He's, he's worse shaped than I am. I was going to have lunch with um, a friend of mine on Friday, and um, I got off the interstate. It's up in uh, up in Raleigh, and got off the interstate. And you know how it is, and I needed to get over in the far left lane fairly quickly. And so there was this SUV behind me. I didn't see who was driving, and it just whipped over and cut me off. You know, just came in right behind me. And I'm pretty proud of myself when I do that. But when somebody else does it, boy, that that's frustrating. <laughs> And I'm not kidding. I don't know if it was just a, a tr- something playing trick on my eyes and, and, and mine. But I looked over, and it was this lady who was with the wheel like this. And I'm not kidding. She looked 90 years old. And I just thought, oh. <laughs> but why? why? Why do we get upset about those kinds of things? They're nothing. And yet, we make them. Everything. Or we're frustrated because we had to put a new starter in our car and when we needed that money, really for food. Or because someone <clears throat> I love very dearly is quite sick. God has made known to us everything that we need to know, according to verse 9. The mystery of His will refers to the salvation that we have in Christ. It was a mystery in times before Jesus, but now in Christ we understand what God was doing. We understand that gospel message that was being preached over and over in the Old Testament, but now it's made clear to us in Jesus. It doesn't mean that there are no mysteries in life or that everything makes sense, but we do know that God is writing His story and He's writing it perfectly, and we're a part of it. Wherever we land in his story is exactly the right place we're supposed to to be. And one day, this earth and those who are in Christ will be restored to the way life was here before the fall. We're not waiting for utopia here. That's never going to happen. No matter what the system, no matter what plans are in place, Utopia is never going to happen here. We're waiting for heaven. 
Now, that does not for one moment absolve me or any of us of responsibility. To allow Christ to do his work of redemption through us in this world. That's what Jackie was talking about this morning. I didn't, I didn't get to hear it. I was just, oh, I wish I could hear that. Uh, what, what she was saying about the Hope Project. We're called to, 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 to be Christ agents in redeeming the world to himself. And if you weren't here last week, listen to the message online and it'll make a lot more sense what I'm talking about. But it's never happening here. That's why we have a hope. Not a hope that things are going to get better one day here, but a hope that one day everything will be restored to the way that it was before. Our hope is in Jesus. And one day, angels and humans, Jews and Gentiles, Presbyterians and Baptists, all who know Jesus will be (coughs) as one. Do you remember our main themes in Ephesians? God has reconciled all creation to himself and he has united people of all nations to himself and to one another in his church. I keep wanting to put this in the present tense. This is what God is doing and truly God is working in our lives now. But this is in the mind of God has already been accomplished and it's stated that way in scripture. We talk about unity in the church. We're not called to create unity. We're called to protect it and preserve it. When Jesus died on the cross, he broke down all the walls of separation. Jews and Gentiles, male and female, slave and free, barbarian, Scythian. Barbarians were wild men. Scythians were really wild men and women in Scripture. He broke down all barriers. We're all made one in Christ, and we have to protect and preserve the unity. Salvation has already been accomplished. He's just putting it together in, in ways that we can see it on a day-to-day basis. Our hope is in the future, but our salvation and unity in the church have been accomplished in the past, so it would seem that both of these realities should affect our present, right? <laughs> Indeed, and that's ultimately what this series is about, this 29th chapter, how we should live as a church in light of the gospel. We know that Jesus established his church as, as, as his means for spreading the gospel. And it's one of the reasons, look, <clears throat> some of you probably have participated in home churches. Let me just say this about home churches. When, when you look at the first century and you say, well, this is the way church was done in the first century. Yeah, well, look at Romans 16 pretty carefully. Paul is talking to the church at Rome. And there are, and there are home groups meeting all over Rome. But they're led by elders. They're served by deacons. It's kind of like our churches, really, when you think about it. We are very much like those early churches where there was one church established in the city, and yet there were places. All, and we got people from Fuquay to Dunn to, to, to McGee's Crossroad, Bowie's Creek, Lillington, Andrew. We're, we're, we're spread all over the place. God designed us to be, to function this way. And that's what happened in that day. The problem with a home group, I mean a home church where you've got about three or four families meeting together is there's very little accountability. There's very little accountability to church leaders, very little accountability to the body of Christ. And God designed us to function like that together. So, where was I? 
Um, I, I used to know this one guy who said, by the way, and you know, you, you could plan on a long stretch, but it always connected. If you would hang with him, it always connected. So that's what I'm pleading for you to hang with me when I, when I say that. We know that Jesus has established his church as, as, as a means, his means for spreading the gospel. And it behooves us to function in unity so that those outside of Christ will get a glimpse of life, what life was like before the fall and what it's going to be like when final restoration of the heavens and the earth is accomplished. If that day is going to be so dramatic that Scripture calls it a new heaven and a new earth, how should our church, Grace Community Church, appear to the world? What a privilege to be a part of the body of Christ, and what a responsibility. One of those basic questions that we asked earlier is, what is the purpose in life? Notice that this passage has spoken much of the purpose of His will. This is his story. We're participants. That doesn't mean that we're, we're passive spectators or that we're robots who just move according to the way that God forces us to move. Always we are called to respond to God's word. And even though we are only being given information about God in this text, we are moved. How can you not be moved to praise it's his purpose. It's a threefold doxology. This entire sentence is an eloquent threefold doxology with focus on all three members of the Trinity. It invites us to give praise to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When we rejoice in the inheritance that is ours because of Christ, when we rejoice in God's plan of salvation, which included those of us that he elected to form his church, his body. When we rejoice that God is working all things presently according to the purpose of his will, then Jesus becomes central in our lives and in our portion of the story because Jesus is at the middle of everything. You see in this passage, God, the Father's plan that was so wonderful, but you, and you see the Holy Spirit who helps us understand God's plan, but you see the magnification and the glorification of Jesus as well. And as the book of Ephesians says, in rather dramatic fashion in the, in, in the chapters that follow, and as Sean said a few Sundays back, this isn't just an individual thing. God's purpose is being worked out in Jesus' church as we believe the right things, as we serve together where every single member is doing his or her part. And as we care for one another, and as when, as when necessary, we forgive one another. And above all, when we hold up one another in love, then Jesus is being magnified and glorified. This long, beautiful sentence closes with the word of security. I, I, I think, would imagine that most of us function best in, a, in an environment of security. I mean, when you're at work and you're on probation, or when you're at school and you're on probation, when you're in marriage and it feels like you're on probation, and I, I really didn't mean that to be funny. I, I understand why you think it is. 
But you, when you think about it, when, 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 a, when a spouse is holding over your head, if you don't do such and such, I'm going to leave. When you're in a place of insecurity, that's a tough place to be. Now, I, I recognize professional athletes live with that all the time. You, you mess up one Sunday on, in, on an NFL team and you're, you're in trouble. You mess up two or three in a row and you're done. I don't care how much the contract is for. You just take your $25 million and go cry about it somewhere. Well, I could live with that kind of insecurity, I, I suppose, but, um, but it ain't that way. It's not. And when, when we're insecure, life takes its toll. We, we want to feel secure in our jobs, in our homes, with, with, with our parents, with the, in our marriages, and above all, in our relationship with Jesus, when, we're, when we are secure in a relationship, especially with Jesus, we're free to, lo- to love, to serve, and even to forgive. These last two verses in our text assure us that when we believed in Jesus, not only did the Holy Spirit seal us with God's seal of salvation, just the way in the Roman times it's true today, you get a certain seal, and it says this, this document is official, whether it's county, state, local, um, notary, uh, public notary, what, what, whatever it is. When, when the seal is, is placed, then this is official. And God's promise is far greater than local or national government's promises. It's absolutely certain. But, and not only did, did he seal us in that way, but he became the guaranteed, non-refundable down payment of our salvation. When the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, he's never going away. Now, this truth is not an announcement that would encourage us to live carelessly after we profess Christ. I mean, there are plenty of places in Scripture that are, 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 are laced with warning. And if you live a certain way, you better check your relationship with Christ. If you don't care about, if you're, <clears throat> if you don't care about doing the right thing, you better check your relationship with Christ. The warnings are, are, are there to make certain that we're in the faith and that we have genuinely believed in Jesus. But those of you who struggle with doubt are most like, likely not in that category. And I would imagine there's a fairly significant number of you that struggle with doubting your salvation. Am I really a Christian? Am I really not? You may struggle with sin, but the fact that you struggle with sin is a good sign. The fact that you hate it when you do it. And it's just like, oh, when am I ever going to get over this? When you no longer care that your eyes or your mind or your tongue are undisciplined, that's when you should worry. But if you're worrying whether or not you prayed the right prayer or not in order to be saved, you're forgetting something very fundamental, that's the, this truth that's given in this passage. Salvation is not up to you. It's up to God. And if you repented of your sins and you have said, you looked at the cross and you said, I believe that that's what Jesus did for me and I give my entire life to you, Lord. Then you're saved, whether you feel like it or not. Now, if there was never any difference in your life and all of, then the warnings in Scripture are there for you. 
But if you have believed, well, maybe I didn't say it the right. Get over that stuff. <clears throat> God saved you. He chose you, and he saved you. If you believe in Jesus and all that implies, then you're saved. You're saved and the Holy Spirit lives in you and nothing can ever change that, not even your doubts. But how much better to live in security that we belong to the Lord. When we are totally secure in that relationship, then we're ready for what's next. What's next? That's what we're going to be talking about for quite a while. Let's turn to the Lord in response. Let's pray.